Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Tito, your host of the podcast, 15 of Life, a podcast where we talk about life after having a life sentence in prison. Once again, I am Tito, and we're going to jump right into prison politics. Now, I've already done one podcast on this, and it was called Prison Politics 101, so we're going to call this one 110 because it's basically the follow-up. And I'm going to be talking more about some examples of some of the things that I did um Not necessarily always that I had to do them, but the thing was, it was the right thing to do to keep the peace amongst the different groups and not to mention keep me in a position to where I could get things, know things, etc. Knowledge is power. I preach this all the time. Um, And I'm not talking just reading a book and having knowledge of something because I will tell you this. Um, and sorry if I offend anybody, but there's there's a, a lot of smart people out there. And when I say smart, I mean book smart, right? People that are reading books, people that are watching um, informative videos, documentaries. They're talking to intelligent people. And mind you, when I say this, I am both talking about out here in the real world or the free world, right? And I'm also talking about inside the prison walls. And this goes for both staff and for inmates, right? But there's a lot of people that do a lot of book smarts, right? And they they don't know how to apply them. You know, they read how they're supposed to be applied and what's supposed to happen. But but here's the thing. And, and um, if this is your first time listening, you know, be prepared for some foul language because, you know, I quote unquote, keep it real, right? But here's the thing. When the shit hits the fan, a book tries to tell you what to do but the thing is is a book can't convey what your emotions are going to be when the shit hits the fan the book can't prepare you specifically for how to deal with that situation because of how it's going to hit you in that moment right so for example you could read a cooking book and i'm going to make this real like goofy simple right you can read a cooking book on how to make french fries right sounds easy right you get some potatoes you peel them you know some might say you boil them first you do all this stuff needless to say you get them down into whatever kind of uh french fry you want it to look like then you're gonna have some oil you know yeah no nowadays you got air fryers and all this other junk but we're talking old school greasy french fries right but then you have a freaking oil fire the book more than likely does not tell you what the hell to do in the event of an oil fire. And even if it does, even if it does, you know, hey, be careful, take these precautions. It might tell you some things. Or maybe you're watching a video and someone jokingly talks about how they dealt with an oil fire. That has nothing to do with your mental state when this oil fire erupts. Or the fact that the oil splattered and caught on fire an old picture of your parents that is a real picture you don't have the digital copy you know nothing is going to prepare you for the way your mind 
switches gears at that moment. Well, that goes for everything else, people. And that's why I've seen in my professional career that a lot of times people are moving away from um, leaning so heavily on the book smarts. So a lot of times you see in these job descriptions nowadays in the in the requirements, you know, preferred bachelor's degree, master's degree, or and then they give you some kind of experience, right? You have to have a few years experience doing this or that. Why? Because the person with that experience maybe hasn't been in that role, maybe doesn't have the formal training or education, but but they've been in the trenches. And they're probably weathered as far as dealing with situations that are going to pop up that will actually make them more valuable than the guy or gal that's book smart. So anyway, back to the prison politics, you know, 110. So let's jump into this. So I was a uh, captain's clerk um, for two years. I went out to court. I came back and then I, I ended up sliding back into it. So I think I did almost, almost four years as a captain's clerk. Basically, what a captain's clerk does is you're the, the whatever, the, the number one clerk in the program office. You're basically an administrative assistant, but you're an inmate, right? So we did a lot of work. Technically, uh, it, I, I was, there's one captain's clerk on each on each yard, right? And then you have one that, that comes in during regular hours and one that kind of comes in and does like a swing shift, a night shift type deal, right? Uh, the one that comes on at night, if, if I remember correctly... They were actually a lieutenant's clerk where I was actually the captain's clerk because the captain's the one that's there during regular business hours, right? Um, Or uh, second watch. Um, So as a captain's clerk, you, you do a lot of things, but some of the main things are you're doing uh, write-ups and every blue moon there's actually a good one. And those come out in the form of they have 128s, 128A, 128B. Uh, they got uh, 114s, which are lockup orders. They got 115s that are write-ups, which is the main thing you type up. So you're typing up like all these write-ups, right? And some of them are the stupidest damn things you've ever seen. And not to mention, uh, shout out to, to CDC, um, California Department of Corrections. I hate throwing the R on there, even though now they is CDCR for rehabilitation. They don't give a shit about rehabilitation. I hate to say it, unless something's changed in the 10 years I've been gone. But yeah, man, those guards were freaking illiterate. Like, for the most part, um, the, these dudes, I, I can't even believe they made it out of high school. Like, I'll never forget the first write-up that came across my desk. Now, mind you, I'm brand new. I get this uh, quote-unquote covenant job because, you know, there's there's some perks that come along with it. But a lot of people, the hardcore convicts, they would never do that job because you're working right up under the man, right? You're, you're in the program office. So in the program office, you got... You know, all all the cops go in there and they report. They have their meetings. You got the the SNEs, the search and escort cops. You got SNI will come through there, which is search and investigation, or we call them the gooners, the goon squad. They're like the task force inside a prison. You got your sergeant, uh, sergeant of the watch that's in there. You got your lieutenant, and then you got your captain, and you got a AW, an associate warden, right? The associate wardens over the two yards. 
and then you have a captain on each yard and then the lieutenant on each yard and the sergeant on each yard and everything so the cool thing was we could walk basically through the hall down to the other end and you interact with everyone who's on the yard on the other side so one of the fringe benefits was you know i could get communication back and forth whether it be kites notes letters um just you know talking i could actually pass items back and forth were we supposed to hell no were we watched all the time but we're freaking inmates it's what we do right i mean the cops brought me in everything i ever had so uh, i'll be doing more podcasts on those i did one on my first cell phone already but yeah so um needless to say um my first write-up comes to me and mind you i know how to type and all that that's how i got the job right so they give me this write-up and as i'm reading it like my whole thing is you know i don't want to get in trouble on the yard i don't want anyone hearing that i'm doing any favors for these cops so but everyone's telling me yeah we we want you in there because it's good to have someone in there right maybe i get word of some stuff before it comes out and you know all that kind of good stuff so you know i take the job and i'm in there and they hand me this write-up oh my god i mean you talk about illiterate grammatical errors everything just it looked like uh maybe a a 10 year old wrote it like i'm not joking it and and no offense uh I, i appreciate and respect a lot of the guards i met in there but there was a lot that i it's almost like you couldn't get a job anywhere else and so you got a job being a prison guard but anyway so i type it up word for word i'm talking about exactly every spelling mistake every every lowercase that should have been a capital letter like i type it up exactly to match i hand that one in i get like two or three more i do the exact same thing i turn them all in and basically what i had to do was you have to type them up like old school on a typewriter right so we have like a word processor right you know very dummy down thing i'm sure they have better stuff now but you type it up and then it prints out and it prints out on this like on these carbon papers so they got all the write-ups and they basically rip out give the inmate their copy and then there's you know at the end whatever the resolution is it goes in there you know the whole nine so I turn them all in, and like the next day, the lieutenant's like, hey, Guerrero, let me talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And he calls me in the office, and, and he goes, man, what the hell is this? And he's got my, my typed-up write-ups. And I go, um, yeah, uh, that, that's the stuff you guys asked me to type the other day. And he goes, no, man. He's like, what the hell? He's like, this is, this is horrible. And I go, well, I'm sorry, but did I mess something up? And he's like, yeah. I mean, did you read these? And I go, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty bad. And he goes, well, that's what we hired you for. And I go, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, clean them up. And I go, you know, with all due respect, I can't. You know, that I'm, I wrote them up the way they were written. And he goes, look, I'm not asking you to, like, make them stick just so they don't look bad. And I'm like, yeah, um, I, just, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, that's not right. And he kind of leans forward and goes, look, take care of me on this little stuff and best believe I'm going to take care of you. And I was like, okay. And mind you, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't, I I really don't. As far as I was concerned at the time, you know, he's telling me this BS and, you know, uh, later on I'm going to end up getting my ass beat for uh, cleaning up these cops writing if someone ever found out, right? Needs to say... I don't change much. I just make them so 
when you read them, they actually make sense. Um, I never changed anything to get anyone in trouble. Uh, matter of fact, sometimes I would even kick them back and say, look, I, I can't, I can't mess with this one. Especially if I knew it was a uh, officer, like doing someone dirty. Um, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I'd be like, I'm sorry, you got to get someone else to type this one up. So, needs to say, I started doing this. Yeah, I started getting little perks. You know what I mean? Uh, if I wanted to go get extra food at Chow, I could get it. Uh, they would have these potlucks like every week. Um, and although we had porters in the center complex, which are basically guys who go and clean everything up, you know, they're basically janitors, right? Um, they would not be allowed to clean up after these events. Uh, they would call me and then they called my celly because my celly was the, uh, uh, housing clerk. So anyone who got moved, he was the one that would do it. And if he wasn't around, I would do it. Um, and that was, that was like one of the choice jobs because everyone wants to be with who they want to be with. And the shot callers on the yard are always going to begin with the housing clerk to get the right people in with the right people and everything else. Or if there's a move they want to do from one yard to another, you know, we would have that. That's where those those benefits came in. Like if I wanted to move someone from a yard to another yard or maybe even keep someone from going to ADSEG or to the hole. I, I had that. I couldn't use it like every day, but I had a lot of clout and, and it was because of the things, you know, uh, I kept things tight. So, um, part of these, these politics would dictate, like, I have to be very careful with that, but here's where I really, really, um, kind of stuck to the code and that was um I, a lot of confidential stuff that i was not supposed to see and sometimes i i 100 know it was done on purpose uh, you know there'd be some guy who who snitched on someone before and they would leave the paperwork they would say something out loud kind of like you know oh man this dude and and they'd walk away from the copy machine i go to the copy machine and they, they'd have the confidential section of the paperwork sitting there. And I would run a copy real quick. And if it was a black dude, and maybe he was Kumi415, you know, a Bay Area, you know, gang. Uh, you know, maybe he's a, a dropout. And here he is on the main line. You know, nobody knows. Well, I would make a quick copy, fold it up tight, hide it, get out to the yard as soon as I could while yard was open. I'd get the shot collar from Kumi to come over and be like, Hey, you know, uh, walk me to the bathroom. And my rule was always that they can't keep it. Cause if they keep the copy, like I'm going to the hole, I'm going to ad say, cause I'm not supposed to have it. And I'm sure it's all not supposed to be taken out to the yard. And that, that could be deemed as something as, I mean, let's just be real. Um, that basically puts a green light on that dude and they could end up killing him, you know? Um, yeah. And so it'd be like, read that in the bathroom and then they got to rip it up and throw it away, flush it down the toilet. And I would, I would get stuff from these guys. Like every month I got at the time I was a big, big soda drinker. I mean, huge soda drinker. So when I would go to canteen, I would buy three, four cases of sodas. 
uh, just keep them up under the bed, uh, under my bunk, and I'd bring ice home, you know, back to the cell every day and have my little ice cold sodas. That was my thing. So, you know, these guys would buy me two cases, you know, at least once a month. Even if I didn't give them anything that month, it was just to keep the relation going. And then guys would give me a ace of weed. They try and give me other stuff. I, I didn't indulge in any of that stuff, but I'd give it to other homies that did, you know. And that would keep me cool with them. And when they had something I needed, you know, it, it always keep coming back. Um, and then there'd be other things that would happen where I'd function on the political side. For example, um, I never get one of my uh, one of my neighbors, a paisa, uh, a Mexican national, uh, got into a fight. And um, so they got him in in the dummy box, which is a it's a little isolation cage. Is and if any of you've watched Locked Up and stuff, I know you've seen them. They're basically a cage that you can stand up in. You can you can kind of crouch down in them, but you don't have a lot of room. And they're basically you you go in there. They call them the dummy boxes because a lot of times, if you're doing something stupid, even if they're not going to send you to Aztec or anything. They'll, they'll stick you in a dummy box for a couple hours and you're just in there in anguish, hating life until you get out. So needless to say, they had these two dummy boxes right by my desk. And that's where they would put people when they're waiting for placement to put them in ad say. Um, every once in a while, you go in there and you get back out. But for the most part, if you were in the cages by my desk, you were gone. And I don't care what race you were or what you were. I pretty much always, you know, check in like, hey, you cool? You, you straight? You know? And it's Paisa dude, so he's, you know, I have to wait, you know, and there's a lot of cops in and out of there and, you know, um, associate wardens and all that walking around, not to mention the regular free staff, the the administrative staff, you know. And so if I get caught uh, talking for too long or really talking about anything aside from saying what's up, I can get in trouble. If I get caught handing anything back and forth, oh, it's, it's, I'll go to the hole right away. So it. It was, and mind you, I did this for freaking years. Um, damn near everyone that went in that cage, I interacted with, and most of the time, got something in or out of that cage. You know, guys would have dope on them, and they'd be in the cage and be like, "Man, I got to get this shit off." And I'd be like, "Hurry up, get it out!" And I'd drop a little Ziploc bag or something by the by the cage, and they put it in there, and I'd take it out to the yard. And now they owe me. You know what I mean? Um, and, th- and this was a regular thing and I, and I'll never forget this Paisa dude got in a fight and he's in there and he's like, man, I need you to get something to, to my celly. And I'm like, yeah. And so he, he basically like dictates some stuff to me real quick. I write it down. I go out to the yard, find a celly. I'm like, Hey, you know, you he's like, yeah, man, what's up? I go here. He wanted to know if you could handle some of this stuff. Part of it was he wanted some tobacco to take with him to the hole and a lighter so this guy brings in, look up, Google it, a can of Bugler. You know, people still smoke Bugler, the blue cans. Needs to say, this guy brought in probably a good third of a can of Bugler. That's that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And like a pack of rolling papers and a lighter. And he's all, here, can you get him this? And I'm like, man, what the hell? And, and mind you, this dude's a little tiny Mexican dude. Like, I'm talking short. Like, this dude's like five foot nothing. Like, he's a little tiny skinny Mexican dude. He's like, man, just get it to him. And I'm like, oh, you're tripping, man. And I'm like, you know, because they basically search you before they throw you in the dummy box. So if I hand him this and he gets caught with it, they're going to pretty much figure out 
like someone gave it to him. So I'm like, man. Now, mind you, I always keep a few things in my desk. And if you don't like hearing some of the nastier stuff about prison, maybe uh, go ahead and cut this off now. But I always kept a good a good amount of latex gloves. I kept a bunch of mayonnaise, you know. Um, I kept rubber bands, um, a few other things. But needless to say, what people do is they'll take the latex glove, whatever kind of contraband they're trying to take with them, they they cut they they'll use their teeth and bite off one of the fingers of the latex glove, stick it up into that finger, tie it up. Usually they just tie it. Sometimes they'll use a rubber band to tie it, and then they use a the mayonnaise or whatever kind of grease they can get their hand on to hoop it to you know keister it to stick it up their ass basically. And I didn't watch this dude. I mean, I watched it in the sense that I handed him all this tobacco, this lighter and like two gloves and like three packs of mayonnaise. And in the course of literally five minutes, that whole thing was up his ass. And I was like, holy crap. Like for real, he goes to the hole. And mind you, for a fight, you don't go to the hole for a long, long time. You know, it all depends on, you know, what happens if you refuse to get down when they tell you to, if there's a weapon or anything else. If it's a regular fist fight, odds are you can, you're, you're going to either come back to your yard where you were already at, or you're going to go, they're going to split you and the other guy up and you go to two different yards, whatever, right? Needless to say, this guy's back in like a week, if that. And he comes up and he's like, hey, man, whatever you need, I got you. And I'm like, no, nah, you're good. And he's like, no, nah, man, that was, man, I made a ton of money over there. And I'm just like, that's crazy, right? But the the thing was, his celly was a, a plumber that would go and make stuff for me, and he would charge me for it. So now whatever I wanted made up in the, the wood and the metal shop, it was all free, all free. You know, because I gave him something that, I, I don't have to because I'm another, you know, I don't have to do anything for any other race. I'm not obligated at all. And if I do do something, you know, they, they, they basically are obligated then to return the favor or pay me for it one way or the other. So it's kind of politicking in the sense that because of those things, I had good connections with all the different groups that were on the yard, you know, so. I would know things ahead of time because they'd want me to know to make sure I'm not in the way. If there's going to be a riot, if there's going to be a fight, whatever. Um, I'll never forget um, the northerners, the Norteños, the northern Mexicans were going to get rid of one of their own. And so because of some things I had done for them, one of the guys came and told me like, hey, just to let you know, at the 11 o'clock unlock in front of education, don't be there and you know if you got any people that hang out by that door make sure they're not around i'm like you know i i I don't even ask i i'm just like all right good looking out spin off that's it like there's no conversation it's just it's already known thank you and i'm gone um and i'm not gonna lie uh i grabbed like a bag of chips and a soda and i went and sat on the yard where i had a good vantage point and i sat there I don't even remember if it was my celly or just one of the other homies. And we just sat there and I was like, hey, uh, it's about to go down over there. Just to let you know. Like, what? And I was like, yeah, unlock's about to happen. Watch. Sure enough, the dude comes walking out the door and they start booking them. They're hitting them with knives, well, pencils and shit. And 
and they're stabbing him and he they're fighting and then the guards start shooting with the block gun shooting the wooden batons at him and everything and they finally you know get him down and the dude's all bleeding and everything and they they take everyone all off the yard and i'm just like it's crazy you know why because i i got a kite from one guy to another you know which might have had some serious shit in it maybe not um but needless to say you know that's just uh just part of the whole game right so those those are some of the things like the tie into politics that you don't have to do but ironically just like politics out here real politics right you do favors for people because then they owe you and and you're in the know like i hope none of you listening think that the politicians of the world like don't do a bunch of scandalous shit and they just hope you never find out and they probably all got dirt on each other and you know it's, it's all that but i think with with the lens of social media and everything else we have going on it there's a lot more transparency nowadays and and with that maybe a little bit more tolerance because we understand we're seeing things we we wouldn't have seen 20 years ago because you wouldn't have been able to see it you wouldn't have heard it you know um but anyway so that's that's my little short spiel on prison politics 110 we will continue these discussions with some other times as some stuff has happened and and things had to had to be done uh but anyway feel free to drop a comment let me know what you think let me know what else you want to hear about once again if if you want to hear some other insight my boy ron rath uh 30 to life he's got a great youtube channel bunch of followers good content up there instagram too i'm on instagram too 15 alive so check us out you know and uh ron if you listening brother uh i'm gonna get you up on here because we gotta do a piece together because ron and i got some crazy freaking stories together but anyway i'm tito it's 15 alive catch y'all next time